0: Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneur Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg.
1: So we learned last week that when a a Jew does a mitzvah a physical mitzvah the mitzvah involves your body and it also involves the energy that comes from your animal soul involves your animal soul, your ego because without your ego, without your natural soul it would be impossible for you to do the mitzvah to move your arm, to move your legs, to do the mitzvah so therefore they also become connected with the divine so through the mitzvah the physical the material and your physical arm your physical leg and the divine and the animal and the natural soul natural energy that motivates that put that uh, moves your arm and leg and moves your limbs they become connected with the divine and they are more connected to the divine than all the spiritual meditation the spiritual meditation higher levels of consciousness can't really connect you to the divine because by definition the fact that you're conscious that there's an I, a self that's conscious so therefore there's already a separation but when you are doing the will of Hashem at that moment there's no separation you are part of Hashem you become one with Hashem so since it's impossible to do the mitzvah without the the physical So therefore the physical becomes an integral part of the mitzvah. And therefore they become connected, they become holy. The idea of the mitzvah is, the concept of a mitzvah only applies to someone, to us human beings who have egos. If there's no ego, there's no mitzvah. Do you have to command your body to move when you want to move? I order you to move the body moves automatically are you going to make a big deal out of it wow my body listen I wanted it to move and it moved does it give you pleasure what's the big deal it's normal it's natural of course of course the body will obey whatever the soul wants to do the body is nothing the body is completely egoless it's a non-entity you don't even feel yourself your body comes completely identified with the soul inseparable from the soul so the whole concept of a mitzvah doesn't apply if there's no ego if there's no separation from God of course whatever God wants you do automatically and it goes without saying the whole concept of a mitzvah applies when there is an ego and there is a separation and there is an eye and therefore it's a novelty Hashem says it gives him tremendous pleasure it gives him infinite pleasure Marty, I said, and you obeyed. Like, that gives Hashem tremendous pleasure. That's not something you take for granted because we sense ourselves as being separate from Hashem. And yet we choose to obey and to do the right thing. That gives Hashem infinite pleasure. So the whole concept of a mitzvah is only that it engages the ego, the natural self, your body, that feels separate from Hashem. And yet by doing a mitzvah, you're obeying Hashem and you're connecting with Hashem and you're becoming one with the divine. And through that, you become more connected than through all the meditation in the world and all the higher levels of consciousness and spirituality and love and philosophy, etc. But the question is, why do we remain egotistical? We remain, we feel separate from Hashem. So here we're doing all the mitzvah, all the 613 mitzvah are address and engage the physical, the natural soul, the ego. And yet, it doesn't change us. We still feel disconnected. We still feel egotistical. We still feel separated. So on one hand, we're completely united with Hashem. We're completely connected with the Divine. Touching the Divine. And being touched by the Divine. It's like God's sense of touch. When you do a mitzvah, it's like God's sense of touch. You become one with Hashem. You're being embraced. Embraced by Hashem. And yet at the same time, we still remain egotistical and separate and apart. So how is that possible? How is it possible that the ego, our natural cells, our bodies, which are separate from God, remain separate and we still feel separate, yet they become absolutely unified with the, with the divine?
0: <clears throat> and yet, yet
1: we remain separate. It doesn't affect us, it doesn't change us, doesn't transform us. How is that possible? And that's what he's going to explain... Um, We're holding on page 465, middle of chapter 35.
0: Although the substance and essence of the animal soul in his heart, i.e. its evil midot, its evil emotional character, have still not been absorbed into holiness, as explained in chapter 12, only in the case of tzaddikim are the evil midot themselves transformed into holiness. In others, only the animal soul's garments, its faculties of expression, by means of which a mitzvah is accomplished, are absorbed into holiness, not the midot, which constitute the animal soul's essence. Nevertheless, this fact does not prevent the light of the Shekhinah from suffusing the entire body, as the Alter Rebbe concludes shortly.
1: So in other words, he's going to explain that it's not only the specific energy that's pushing your arm to do the mitzvah. So that becomes like a tool you can't do the mitzvah without, so that becomes a tool and implement to fulfill the divine will, therefore it becomes connected with the divine. But he's saying it's more so. It's the it's the whole entire soul, the essence of the soul, of the animal soul, of the ego soul also becomes absorbed in the divine. It's not just that particular energy and ability to move your hand. That energy that you use to move your hand to do the mitzvah, that energy at that moment becomes connected to the divine. is touched by the divine. But your whole ego soul, your whole entire soul, ego soul, natural soul, animal soul, becomes connected with the divine, becomes absorbed in the divine, becomes unified with the divine. How is that possible? If the ego remains ego and egotistical and separate, how could the ego soul become completely united with the divine? He explains.
0: Yet, because they, the evil Midot, are subjugated to holiness and, quote, against their will they say amen, end quote, agreeing and acceding to the performance of the mitzvot through the strengthening of the divine soul in the brain, which masters the heart, as discussed in chapter 12. Although the emotions of the Benoni have not been transformed into good, he nevertheless has the power to control them by means of his mind, through contemplating God's greatness. In this way, the Benoni can direct his heart as he chooses, insofar as the actual performance of the mitzvot is concerned. And the evil midot are at such times, when one exercises the natural mastery of brain over heart by contemplating God's greatness, in a state of exile and sleep, impotent, as mentioned above in chapter 12. Therefore, this incorrigible nature of the animal soul's evil, midot, does not prevent the Shekhinah from resting on one's body at this time. The Alt-Rebbe now goes on to explain how it is possible for one mitzvah to draw the Shekhinah upon one's entire body. This resting of the Shekhinah means that the power of the animal soul, clothed in the act that constitutes the mitzvah, for example, the power in the hand donning tefillin, is actually absorbed into the divine light and merges with it in perfect unity. Thereby, one draws down a ray of the light wherein the particular power has been absorbed upon the totality of the animal soul throughout the body and upon the entire body as well. This ray of divine light illuminates one's animal soul and his body in a manner of, quote, encompassing from above, end quote, surrounding them from head to foot. This explains the expression appearing in the passage from the Zohar quoted at the beginning of this chapter. Quote, the Shekhinah rests upon his head, unquote, specifically upon, i.e., encompassing him, quote, from above, end quote. And in a similar vein, the expression, quote, upon every assembly of ten Jews, the divine presence rests, means that the light of the Divine Presence does not permeate them, but illuminates them from above.
1: So what he's saying is that not only that energy, that power of the animal soul that causes the act of moving your arm or moving your hands or moving your limb to do the mitzvah, example the energy that you have in your hand to put on the tefillin with the light the shabbat candle so that energy becomes connected to the divine but in addition it also draws down a general all-encompassing light that connects the entire soul the animal soul the eagle soul comes entirely connected to the divine to Hashem. And that's why the Zohar says that the wise man is one who looks at the Shekhinah that rests on his head. Meaning, the Shekhinah, the reason we wear a yarmulke, why do we wear a yarmulke all the time? Not only when we're doing a mitzvah do we wear a yarmulke. We wear a yarmulke all the time. Because God's presence hovers over us all the time. Whether we do a mitzvah or not. God's presence hovers over us. just like we find that when ten Jews come together even if they're not doing a mitzvah ten Jews come together to eat sushi they're not not doing a sin they're not doing a mitzvah they're not praying they're not studying they're just sitting together in a cafe in Tel Aviv ten Jews are sitting together in a kosher cafe God's presence and God's presence is so intense as he he says later on in Tanya that even the angels can't be present. They would, they would be burnt. They would be nullified. Their existence is so intense. The holiness is so intense. When a minion, when ten Jews gather together, even if they're not studying Torah, they're not doing a mitzvah. So what does it mean God's presence is there? It means in a general sense, like hovers over them. It's not internal. They're not doing anything holy. But just being there together they generate a presence, a higher presence of Hashem. So even every Jew on his own, just being by yourself, you always have to wear a yarmulke. Because God's presence is always over your head. When you have ten Jews gathered together, you increase in God's presence. You intensify God's presence. It's It's a higher level of holiness. When you do a mitzvah, it's even a higher level of holiness. You're studying Torah. You do a mitzvah. You're revealing a higher level of holiness. and By revealing a higher level of holiness, it encompasses and connects the entire being. Your entire soul becomes absorbed and touched by the divine. Your animal soul, your ego soul, also becomes connected by the divine. In in a general sense. It's like an all-encompassing light that affects and connects the whole entire soul.
0: Heretofore, various levels in the quote, resting of the Shekhinah end quote, have been discussed, as it rests upon the divine soul, upon the specific faculty of the animal soul that performs a mitzvah, upon the animal soul as a whole, and upon the body, the latter two only encompassed by, but not permeated with, the light of the Shekhinah. As to the light of the Shekhinah encompassing the body, Within this level, we find further subdivisions. That level which is the effect of a mitzvah, that which encompasses any gathering of ten Jews, even when not engaged in a mitzvah, and perhaps we may distinguish yet another level, that which rests upon even one individual Jew, even when he is not occupied with a mitzvah.
1: So how many levels, how many levels uh, do we have here? Different levels of... Hashem's Shechina, presence, Hashem's manifestation. There's a Jew when he doesn't do a mitzvah, just wearing a yarmulke because Hashem is always with him. There's when a Jew does a mitzvah, so then a specific energy, the power of the hand that's doing the mitzvah, or that limb and the energy behind that limb comes connected to Hashem. Then there's the all-encompassing light that connects his entire animal soul, ego soul, with Hashem when you're doing a mitzvah and then there is when ten Jews gather together even if they're not studying Torah they're not doing a mitzvah just by their being by their presence draw down a revelation of Hashem but an all encompassing revelation that hovers over them it's not internal when you do a mitzvah it's absorbed in the divine light but the animal soul is just all-encompassing. All- it says, a a When the ten Jews gather together, God's presence hovers over them. Not internal. They're not doing anything holy at that time. But there is a presence. There's like a general sense. A presence of holiness. And um, it's interesting. Where do you learn the concept of a minion from? You learn it from the spies. From actually a negative event till when will we have to suffer? God says, when will we have to suffer from this terrible congregation? with ten bad spies, two good spies, Joshua and Caleb, which leaves us ten bad spies. And God calls them a congregation. And they were men. And this we learn, the concept of a minion. Ten men, you have a minion. So we learn it from a negative event. But you see the power of 10 Jews when 10 Jews get together they can either destroy the world as those 10 Jews did look what they caused not only did they cause the death of that generation they wandered in the desert for 40 years and they all died out in the desert they caused the tragedy of the first destruction of the first temple and the tragedy of the destruction of the second temple tragedy after tragedy the downfall of Beitar, Bar Kokhba the defeat of Bar Kokhba tragedy after tragedy until today tisha we mourn so you see the power that's unleashed when 10 jews get together there's a powerful energy it's like a nuclear energy it's charged the question is what do you do with that energy you can either destroy the world with that energy or 10 jews get together you can rebuild the world you can heal the world the rebbe said if there were 10 jews in the world who genuinely wanted Mashiach, Mashiach would come here. So if you had 10 Jews, the power of 10, you can rebuild the whole entire world. So that's a result of the tremendous energy that's revealed, that's unleashed, that you can tap into. When 10 Jews get together, there's an energy that you can sense, that you can tap into. It's there, it's present. But it's a general energy. It's not an internal energy. You wear a yarmulke over your head because there is a shechit. The shechina always hovers over your head, whether you're doing a mitzvah, you're not doing a mitzvah, you're making a blessing, you're not making a blessing, just going about your, your business, your everyday life. But the shechina always rests over your head, so you wear a kippa. How much more so when you do a mitzvah, then you become absorbed within within the divine. You're touched by the divine. Then you truly become one with the divine. And your whole entire soul also becomes connected in a more general way, in a more all-encompassing way. So the question is, how could there be so many different levels of the Shekhinah? I mean, there's one God. So what do you mean in this, if there are 10 Jews, you have one level of the Shekhinah. If there's one Jew and he's not doing a mitzvah, you have one level of the Shekhinah. If he's doing a mitzvah, you have a higher level of doing the Shekhinah. As he said earlier, even if one Jew studies Torah by himself, there's a certain... Impression, there's a certain level of Shekhinah that he draws down. The greater the number, the greater the level of the Shekhinah, as the Mishnah says. If there's one, and then, then if there's two, and then if there's three, and then if there's five, and then, then if there's ten different levels of the Shekhinah. The question is, is there's one God, so how could there be so many different levels of, of the Shekhinah, of the manifestation of Hashem, of the presence of Hashem? And that's what he's going to explain presently the alter Rebbe now goes on to state
0: the alter rebi now goes on to state that this variety of levels at which the shekhinah becomes manifest does not indicate any change or plurality in its light god forbid the variety means merely that the different objects of the light the divine soul the animal soul the body and so on receive it in different ways in the alter Rebbe's words None of these various forms in which the light of the shekhinah is manifested meaning the ways in which the ein sof light is revealed god the ein sof is everywhere it is only that he is concealed from his creatures thus the uniqueness of the manifestation of the shekhinah lies in the revelation of the ein sof can be construed as a change in himself or as a plurality the fact that the shekhinah manifests itself at some point for example in one soul through the performance of a mitzvah, whereas it had previously not been manifest, does not point to any change in God, nor do the various forms of manifestation indicate plurality within him. As we find in the Tractate Sanhedrin, where it is recorded that a certain heretic said to Rabban Gamliel, you say that the Shekhinah rests on every assembly of ten. How many Shekhinahs have you? And Rabban Gamliel replied with analogy of the sun's light, which enters through many windows, etc., Despite the multitude of windows, there is but one light. The same holds true even where the light appears differently from place to place. Sunlight shining through stained glass windows of various hues remains nonetheless unchanged, though it takes on the multicolored appearance of the windows, as does also water in a colored glass. Once removed from the glass, it appears in its pristine clarity. So too with the various modes in which the light of the Shekhinah is manifested. The light remains the same without change or division. Any differences in manifestation are attributable only to the way the light is received by the object in which it is manifest. And the intelligent will understand, and as Hasidim would add, quote, the devout will perceive, end quote.
1: This is really something that needs a lot of explanation, a lot of clarification. There are certain things that we see that there really is no differentiation between one level and the next like the moment it makes contact it has an effect for example the soul the moment the soul our soul makes contact with our body the body comes alive it doesn't have to engage in the body it's not measured according to the body it doesn't matter if it's the body of a giant or the body of a baby an infant The idea that we're alive, the fact that our soul is filled with life. So when the soul, whose essence is life, when it touches our body, it enters our body, we come alive. Our whole body comes alive, A whole organism, every fiber of our being, every bone in our body, every cell in our body, every atom is alive. The body is alive, it's not a machine, it's alive. A huge body, a small body makes no difference. Every part of the body, the brain, the toenail, the ear, it's alive. So that's like a general, it's not, it doesn't get into the details, it doesn't get into these, just by its mere contact, it automatically affects it. It's not like a teacher who's teaching the student, the teacher has to get into the mind of the student, the teacher has to talk to the student, the teacher has to understand the student, the teacher has to talk the language of the student. He can't go too fast, he can't go too slow, he has to know exactly who his audience is, he has to know exactly who he's talking to and what he's talking to, they can understand if he's over the head, if he's, if, he's, if he's not challenging enough. The teacher gets into very specifics. Over there you have details, and there are differences. There's a greater student, there's a smaller student, there's another student. But then you have a general, which doesn't really, is not really affected by the receiver. It's just touches it and it's, and it's touched but doesn't affect that's why you have fire could melt and fire could strengthen the same fire could have opposite effects it can melt right it melts the wax and you put China into the fire you put it uh, into the kiln and it strengthens it the same fire effect, strengthens and, and melts at the same time because the fire doesn't get involved into the nitty gritty so the fire is a fire I'm here you are touched by me, so whatever everyone will take whatever, the the well the the wax will melt and and the uh, the earth and will harden. So there are things in the world that its a connection, its relationship is very general. It's not affected. It's not affected by the receiver. The receiver is, it's almost like you, you're touched by it and, and it affects you but it doesn't really enclose itself and doesn't define itself by the receiver. That's, that's in general the way the light works. Light is not affected by the receiver. It doesn't matter if it's lighting up a garbage dump or if it's lighting up the palace. But then there are things in this world which are affected by the receiver, like a teacher and a student. The teacher is affected by this, by the teach, by the student. What teaching material am I using? What am I, who am I talking to? I have to give them something that I can, they can grasp, they can understand. So you're affected by it. The teacher is affected by his students. It's not the teacher who says, I'm going to sit in the classroom and I'm going to talk. <laughs> Whoever wants to listen, let him listen. Whoever doesn't, done. You're able to get something out of it, fine. If not, not. that's not a teacher. A teacher has to talk to his students. So the teacher is affected by his recipients. So the question is, when you talk about different levels of the Shekhinah, it appears that Hashem is affected by us. I mean, you just walk around, you walk around with a yarmulke, I mean, you do a mitzvah, now Hashem is in is, is a much greater presence. When ten Jews get together, you affect Hashem even more, you bring out, the, the Hashem is drawn down into this world on a, on a more intense level, a greater level. So Hashem is affected by us. And it gets into specifics. So that's what the heretic asks. How many gods do you have? How can Hashem be affected by by us? Makes no sense. Hashem is infinite. Hashem is like light. All the philosophers, the Kabbalists, use the analogy of light because light is not affected by by the receiver. Light just is. And however it affects you it affects but but interestingly enough light is not seen unless there is a receiver unless it's reflected on something right in outer space it's dark (laughs) right even though the light is traveling why is outer space dark? should be all lit up? because what you see is the bouncing light the receiving light that's why it's warmer valleys are warmer than mountain peaks mountaintops it should be just the opposite the mountaintop is closer to the sun the mountaintop should be warmer the valley is further away from the sun yet it's just the opposite because the heat comes from the reflection it's when the light bounces back the heat bounces back that's what creates the heat that's why space is dark why is space dark the light is traveling you remember what you learned in science you ever had that question you ever wondered why is space dark? You have light traveling from the sun. Should be all lit up. Cool. What? And cold, right? Dark and cold. Because as Jeff says, it's the reflection. But still, in all, the light is not affected by the the, the light. Anything it bounce off anything as long as it bounces off. It bounces off anything. It doesn't matter if it's bouncing off the, uh, what's that famous. Uh, Palace in Paris uh, or whatever Eiffel we, well, not Eiffel Tower Chantelize <laughs> or, or, ba- or it's bouncing off it's bouncing off of a garbage dump it makes no difference it gives the same heat and the same light it could melt and it could strengthen at the same time it's not affected so that's what Jab- the heretic was wondering and this is a question that the Talmud quotes because it's a, it's a question because it appears that we do affect God That God is defect, affected by us Like a teacher and a student It depends on the student that's, that's the level that the teacher will teach If a student is open The teacher will teach more If a student is not open The teacher closes himself up So if you walk around with a yarmulke Fine, because there's a certain presence We have 24 hours But when you do a mitzvah Now you're letting God in Now there's a greater presence There's a a deeper level of God That's being revealed Just like the the teacher gives a deeper concept When he has students that are listening So the teacher is interested The teacher gives more of himself There's ten Jews The teacher gives more of himself So it affects the teacher So the teacher is changed The teacher is affected How many gods do you have? God is supposed to be one That's a very good question It's not a foolish question It's an excellent question And the answer is Yes there is a sun and to the sun is like light and the, the Kabbalists use the analogy of light as an analogy for God for the, God's infinite light because just like light is not affected by the recipient and especially the sun that emanates the light the sun is completely unaffected by the light it doesn't matter if it shines it doesn't shine it makes no difference to the sun the sun is one the sun is unaffected transcends the whole existence light does light, it does light, doesn't light it's shining, it's not shining, it's day and night it makes no difference so that's the analogy to God, God is like the sun he's not, He remains unaffected and transcendent even while He's shining the light and even when the light is seen through the prisms of the yellow, the colored glasses God remains unaffected but the difference is for us because we are like within the building and with shuttered windows so for us there is no light for us is genuine the concealment is genuine there is no light we live in a dark world and when we let the light in then we transform the world then we bring we make a change because in the darkness there was no light and now we let the light in it depends how much you open yourself up it depends how much light you're letting in if you do a mitzvah you're letting more light you study Torah, you're letting in light. When ten Jews come together, you're letting in more light. When ten Jews study Torah together, pray together, you're letting in more light. When a thousand Jews come together, you're letting in even more light. So it does. It depends on us. We really make a difference. And at the same time, it doesn't. It doesn't affect God. And when you agree to do the mitzvah. Since the soul agrees, your ego agrees to do the mitzvah. You give permission to do the mitzvah. So therefore, when you're doing the mitzvah, you're letting God into this darkness. Into this void. You're opening up the shutters. See, even though you're dark, your animal soul is dark, your ego soul is dark, and it will remain dark. And it remains dark. Because after all the mitzvahs in the world And even if you think Jewish and speak Jewish and act Jewish Your animal soul is still an animal And it's still egotistical And it's not transformed And it's not within our power to transform It still remains dark Egotistical, separate, disconnected from God But you're able to bring light into that darkness Because when your ego soul agrees to do the mitzvah And even if you have to force yourself to do the mitzvah and to obey, and to listen, and to do the right thing, even if you don't feel like it. Since you've obeyed, and you've listened, and you've agreed to let to do the mitzvah, you've let the light into that darkness. You've allowed the Shechina to illuminate your darkness. And that feeds, that's the oil that feeds the light, feeds the flame. So you continuously feed the flame, and you add to the flame, and you bring a deeper level of God in that darkness just like in the analogy when the windows are shuttered and you open it up you're letting the light in so when you're feeding the flame you're intensifying the flame you're causing the flame to grow you're allowing the light into this darkness into the material into the physical into the ego and that's the whole purpose that's the whole purpose of creation we're going to learn in the later next few weeks this is what God wanted we should allow into the darkness Open the shutters and within the darkness fuel the flame, add to the flame, intensify the flame. Because without our mitzvahs the flame is very dim. Yes, to Hashem it makes no difference. God is the sun, God is transcendent. To the light it makes no difference. There's no yellow light, There's no, there are no colors. All there is is God. That's true. But from our perspective, the shutters are shut. And it's genuine. Because of the colored glasses there is a yellow light and a red light. That's our reality. And the question is if you can bring the light of Hashem into that darkness. Into that differentiated, egotistical existence. And by opening your, your, your being, your, your, by obeying the mitzvah with your ego. Obeying. The concept of a mitzvah only applies when there's an ego. And you submit yourself and do the right thing and open yourself up. And giving permission and submitting yourself by doing the mitzvah, you're allowing that light into your soul. And that feeds the divine energy. And that intensifies the flame. That brings the light into the darkness. And that's the whole purpose of creation. That we'll already discuss. That will, that will start already next week. Anyone has any questions?
0: That is Bittl.
1: Bittle. right. You open Right. Bittal. And the Bittal that we're talking about here, there's two types of Bittal. Bittle is self-nullification. Egolessness. But there's two types of Bittal. There's the Bittal of the divine soul. That's what we call Bittal B'Metzias. There is no ego. The divine soul is egoless. But then there's another level of Bittal, which is the Bittal of the animal soul. That's what we call Bittal Ayesh. You don't become egoless. Because even you can study Torah and do mitzvot for decades and for 50 years and 70 years, the ego is still there. You don't become egos. (laughs) But you force yourself to do the mitzvah. You nullify yourself. And in a certain sense, that's actually more impressive. That bitl, in a certain sense, is more impressive than the first level of bitl quantitatively wise, the first level of bitl when the soul is nullified, the ego is very impressed. But as we learned here, that's not the oil. That's not, what fla- that's not what feeds the flame. You know what feeds the flame? You know it's the oil that has the ability to become absorbed within the flame and unified within the flame. It's the bitl ayesh. It's when you have an ego, you have a body, you have an animal, natural soul, and you nullify yourself and you fulfill the commandment, you fulfill the mission. You connect by fulfilling the commandment. Why is that more impressive? Qualitatively wise, it's much deeper, and it's much more impressive. Because yes, when your soul is egoless, your whole soul, your whole being is on fire, your soul is on fire, your heart is on f- flame, your mind is, on, is, is, is soaring, Ecstasy, higher levels of consciousness, your whole being is is connected. So quantitatively wise, it affects your whole being. Quantitatively wise, when you force yourself to do the right thing, to think the right thing, to say the right thing, to do the right thing, you're forcing yourself. Your heart is not into it. Your mind is not into it. You have to go contrary to your heart and to your mind. You don't feel like it. You don't understand it. And you do it anyway because it's the right thing to do. Quantitatively wise is not so impressive but qualitatively wise it's much deeper it's a much deeper more genuine bit, because the dedication and the devotion to Hashem is much greater mm-hmm. because even though you don't understand fully and even though your heart is not on fire you haven't transformed you haven't sublimated your ego you have a healthy ego and, and your heart the ego is pulling you in a different direction and yet because Hashem commanded you and asked you to do it, you're doing the right thing. You're thinking like a Jew and speaking like a Jew and acting and doing the right thing. Qualitatively wise, it's much more impressive. It's much deeper. It shows that you're genuinely nullified before God. And therefore, you become absorbed within the unity of God. When your soul is ego the soul can't become nullified within God because the soul is an entity. A spiritual entity, and an enlightened entity, an impressive entity, an entity nonetheless. So as subtle as this entity of the soul is, it can't become absorbed within God. It's not the oil that can fuel the flame. That can, it's not the material, the right material that can become absorbed in one with the flame, with the divine, with the Shekhinah. But when you nullify yourself before God, you nullify your ego, and you nullify your body, and you force, and you do the right thing, then you become truly absorbed. That's the fuel that feeds the flame, that intensifies or draws down the Shekhinah and brings, opens the shutters and brings Hashem's light into the darkness, because that dedication is much more impressive, it's much deeper. That's why in a certain sense, a Jew's service of Hashem in the time of exile is much more impressive than a Jew's service of Hashem in the times of the temple. Because when the Jews served Hashem in the time of the temple, we bow down in front of the temple which is a reflection of the way we felt spiritually. We were completely egoless before God. We were on a high, sublime, spiritual level, which is very nice. But it only affects the surface of the soul. It doesn't affect the core, the essence of the soul. It's only in the time of exile, especially in our day and age, which is in the darkness of our day and age, that's when you see That's when you see the level, the depth, the core, the essential connection that a Jew has with God. And that's why it's in today's day and age that it's our generation that's going to bring Mashiach. And that's the beginning of chapter 36. That's the introduction. This is the lead-in from chapter 35 to 36. That it's only... When a Jew studies Torah and does mitzvot, especially in a time of darkness, in a time of exile, especially at the end of exile, our period in exile, which is the darkest moment in exile, the most spiritually oppressive moment in exile. It's the mitzvot that we do under these circumstances when there's no revelation and the mind is clogged and the heart is clogged and we don't feel and we don't perceive and we don't sense. And yet, the dedication of Jews today the devotion and dedication, to millions of Jews around the world, on a daily basis, who are doing the right thing only because Hashem asked us to do it, because it's the right thing for us to do. No ulterior motives. This depth, this dedication, comes from the very depth of our being, and that's the fuel that can feed the flame and bring Hashem into this darkness. And, um, and, we, and that's, that's why we could that's why the body the physical the natural the ego could become absorbed within God completely unified within God so the depth and the quality of the self nullification today is much deeper much more impressive than the external self nullification egolessness of the higher spiritual generations in the times of the temple so don't judge things by the book by the surface don't judge a book by its cover don't judge the generations by its surface yes we're the lowest of all generations the darkest the most challenged but on the other hand we are the ones that are going to carry the whole Jewish people into the Messianic era we hold up the whole Jewish body because the, the purity that we have today is unique in Jewish history. There never was an expression, such an expression of such purity, such genuineness, where the essence of the Jewish soul is just in its full blazing glory. Where do you see this blazing glory of the Jewish soul? What really blazes is the flame and really fuels the flame, it's the bitl that we have today, the bitl hayesh, overcoming the ego engaging the ego and that's why the mitzvah all involve in the ego it's not enough to serve God with your soul the whole purpose that's the answer to this question why the whole purpose of Torah and mitzvah was to engage in the body it's when the body overcomes its ego and does the right thing that's the most meaningful of all. that's what connects us to God that's the flame that that could become absorbed and unified with Hashem and that's what fuels the flame, the divine flame, and brings Hashem's light into our darkness. We open the shutters, and the more we do mitzvah, the more light we let in, and the more we illuminate, and that's the whole purpose of creation, to be continued.